Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you all. So good to see some new faces, too. Welcome to LBC. Um, today is an exciting day because today we get to start our new sermon series in the book of Ephesians. And today I have one main aim, really, and that's for us to really dig deep and to get into the heads and hearts of not just the Apostle Paul, but into the church in Ephesus, too. I want us to understand why is Paul writing this letter? What's contained within it? And why, after 2,000 years, is this letter considered to be the most relevant, timeless, and contemporary letter ever written by the Apostle Paul? I think in order for us to be able to do that this morning, we must first ask God for his blessing as we open his scriptures. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Uh, Father God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that we get to start a new sermon series this morning. Would you just bless our time together, please, Lord? Would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see your glory, that we may be able to get, that we may be able to just begin to understand what is the length and breadth and height and depth of the love that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you would just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and from verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back. Just raise your hands and we'll get one to you. Just a few there. And as you're turning there, just to help you, uh, Ephesians is a New Testament letter. It's in the second half of the New Testament. You'll find it sandwiched in between Philippians, uh, between Galatians and Philippians. Just wait for those Bibles to go out. There we go. And we're preaching this morning, as, uh, as Richard said, on the first three verses. Um, thanks to Richard. He's already done 5% of my sermon for me, as he said. So I won't have to go over that. So. But yeah, so we're starting from verse 1. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was made an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That in itself, to me, is just a glorious concept and a glorious sentence. Let's just think about that for a moment. When Jesus Christ appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road and intercepted him just before he was about to round up and kill a group of Christians, Jesus Christ appeared to Paul. Of course, Paul wasn't known as Paul at that moment. He was Saul. Saul, a ferocious, zealous man who was commissioned by the Jewish high priest to hunt and kill Christians. And we read in Philippians 3 that Paul had every confidence in who he was in this moment. He was Saul, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But when Saul met Jesus on that fateful road to Damascus, he counted his whole identity and everything he had worked towards in his life as completely worthless because of the glory of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Saul is converted and is given a new commission by Jesus, not to hunt Christians as he once did, but instead to spread the gospel and open the eyes of the people to the glory of God. In that moment, Saul 
becomes Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Fast forward 18 years, and Paul, battered and bruised on his missionary journeys, and having spread the gospel throughout the whole known world, his next stop is Ephesus. He's passed through this city before on his second missionary trip, but now Paul is here not just to pass through, but to stay there for the next three years and fight a spiritual battle. Because Ephesus, you see, is a bustling Roman city of about a quarter of a million people in what is known as contemporary Turkey. Dominating the skyline of Ephesus is one of the greatest pagan temples ever to be built, one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. The people in Ephesus desperately needed the gospel. They are bewitched and they are under the power and darkness of Satan. When Paul enters Ephesus, I'm sure those apostolic commissions that Jesus gave to him, and that we read in Acts, that he gave to him all those years ago must have been going through his head as he walks through that main street on the temple, on the way to the temple of Diana. Jesus says to him, Open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And the will of God was clear that for the next three years, Paul is fighting a spiritual battle and he's battling the powers of Satan here in this city. You can read all about Paul's adventures in Ephesus by reading chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Acts. And safe to say, despite the odds, Paul was successful in establishing a local church. Together, Paul and the church faced many, many spiritual battles together, but they also faced the joys and the blessings of spreading the gospel and seeing many people saved along the way. When it was time for Paul to leave, both Paul and the elders of the church in Ephesus, having gone through so much together, well, they just fell to the ground and they wept. Paul leaves them desperate to stay, but knowing that he must continue on his missionary journey. What awaited him, Paul didn't know. However, he did know that imprisonment and afflictions would be coming his way. The letter to Ephesians was written about five years after this. And Paul has indeed faced many afflictions and he's now in prison Paul is under house arrest in Rome and he's waiting a trial to Caesar and chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. During this time, Paul writes to four churches in what are known as the prison epistles. Each one of these letters would have been dictated by Paul and written down by a scribe and sent out to the respective churches. The churches in and around Ephesus would have heard about Paul's imprisonment and they would have been desperate to hear from him. Likewise, Paul was desperate to encourage the churches in Ephesus because they were a place close to his heart and he loved them. This letter would have been a circular letter. It would have been a letter that was sent from church to church. Some of the earliest manuscripts that we have uh, have a blank space in it. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in, and then there would be a blank space. 
This letter would have been passed around from church to church in Ephesus and the province of Asia Minor, so the blank space gave churches an opportunity to insert their name. This is a testament to this power and the spreading of the gospel and the power of Paul's apostleship. Unlike other letters that were sent out by Paul, this letter wasn't a letter to admonish or correct bad behavior, but this letter was a letter sent to the saints in Ephesus, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, that they may be encouraged in their faith. The saints, according to Paul, and according to the Bible, are those who have been set apart for Jesus Christ. In the original Greek, the word saints means holy ones or set apart ones. It's a word that reflects those who have been made holy by Christ and are being made holy by Christ. It's Paul's favorite term for God's people. Paul never uses the word Christian. In Ephesians, he simply refers to Christians as saints. How often do we get the concept of saints wrong today? We say, I'm a Christian, but I'm certainly no saint. Well, I'm going to encourage you this morning that if you are a a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you belong to him this morning, you are a saint. We're all saints. If you belong to Christ, then you are a saint according to Paul and according to the Bible. Paul writes to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. I think it's important that as we go through this letter to understand that Paul currently is in prison because of his faithfulness to the gospel. Paul certainly knows what it means to be faithful in Christ. Up to this point, he's endured many hardships. In his travels, he's been flogged, he's been chased out of cities, he's been maligned, he's he's had murder plots against him, he's, he's he's been caught up in storms, he's been bitten by snakes, and now he's justly unjustly, sorry, imprisoned, awaiting a trial from Caesar. Paul is suffering because of his faithfulness to the gospel. But he can take heart because Jesus knew this would happen. He said to Ananias, Jesus said to Ananias, just before Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, 15, he says, Paul is my chosen instrument. I just want you to remember that word chosen. Paul is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul wasn't ever discouraged at the prospect of suffering for Jesus. And I'm sure the faithful saints in Ephesus weren't either. It was certainly the case that early Christians were persecuted and martyred for their faithfulness towards Christ during this time. I'm sure Paul would have received reports whilst under house arrest, especially if the Ephesian saints were faithful in Christ Jesus, as Paul was. So the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is about to get to the main thrust of his message, and we'll get there soon. He's greeted the faithful saints. Now it's time for him to say what he has to say. But don't forget that as Paul is saying what he has to say, he's, he's changed to a Roman guard. And as we work through this letter, it's something that I hope that you'll notice, something that you'll keep in the back of your mind. Because Ephesians has all the enduring qualities, all the endearing qualities, 
of a letter that's penned by a scribe hanging on Paul's every word whilst he's chained to a Roman guard. The language of Paul's letter reflects this. Sometimes Paul is teaching doctrine. Sometimes he's in a prayerful manner. Sometimes he's interceding for the saints and praying for people. Sometimes he's affirming key doctrines. And sometimes he's just straight up evangelizing to people. But this letter has it all. It's got Paul's heart and soul poured into every word. But despite the change in language and literary styles, the letter has a very clear structure. It's as if Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew that this letter needed to be timeless, just in case something might happen to him or happen to the church. So what's in the letter? Well, the first half of Paul's letter focuses on key doctrines and reminds us of God's glorious grace and peace in God. And then the second half of the letter focuses on duty and reminds us of what we must do as saints in order to live godly lives. Of course, Paul didn't write in verses and chapters as we have in our Bibles today. But in the first three chapters, Paul is concentrating on doctrine in chapters 1 to 3. And then in the second half of the letter, in chapters 4 to 6, he's focusing on duty. Duty and doctrine. Why do you think Paul teaches this way? Why do you think he's written the letter this way? Well, it's because you can't have and you can't live a Christian life if you don't conform to Christian doctrines. You can't live a Christian life if you don't conform to Christian doctrines. However, the opposite is also true. Paul knew, as is the case today, too many saints live in chapters 1 to 3 and study the doctrines, but fail to move in chapters 4 to 6 and practice the duties. The lesson is that we as balanced Christians must faithfully be living our lives according to correct doctrine and according to correct duty. But here he's about to greet the faithful saints. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Richard's already preached on grace and peace this morning. That's 5% done, so I, I can shave some of the sermon off here. But grace and peace, two of the most important subjects in the first three chapters of Paul's letter and twin themes that are certainly twin themes of the gospel. Here Paul is using grace and peace as a salutation. He does it in all his letters. Any scribe or Roman guard that might be chained to Paul at this time would have heard him say these words countless times, grace and peace. It was Paul's favorite salutation, and it was important to him. Traditionally, Paul would have been brought up to use the Hebrew salutation, shalom, which means peace. And yet here he precedes that Greek uh, greeting with the... Let me start again. Let me start again. He precedes the Hebrew greeting, shalom, with the Greek greeting, peace. No, he doesn't. Let me start that one more time. I will get there. He proceeds. <laughs> Why is this so difficult? Pray for me. He proceeds. Thank you. He proceeds uh, the, the Hebrew uh, greeting, peace, with the Greek greeting, grace. Thank you. Thumbs up from Adrian. I got there in the end. <laughs> 
grace and peace. The significance of this, Satan didn't want me to say this. <laughs> the significance of this is a blend of cultures. Gentile greetings mixed with Hebrew greetings. It's a salutation that reflects who Paul is as the Jewish-born apostle to the Gentile believers. Hadis Shalom is how it would have been said. This greeting would have also been familiar to the saints in Ephesus, and it would soon be ringing out across the churches in Asia Minor as Paul's letter was read aloud. And I wonder, did the saints smile when Paul heard this familiar greeting from Paul, Hadish Shalom? I'm sure if you hear it from now on, you will smile to yourselves. The undeserved riches and grace from God the Father and the abounding peace found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew these deeply. Paul always greets the saints this way. First, grace, and then peace. Because you cannot know the peace of God unless you've received the grace of God. Grace and peace will come, become key themes in the letter to Ephesians. Paul knew that the saints in Ephesus needed to be reminded of the wonders of God's grace and the peace that flows from Jesus. It's a reminder that we do too. Let's remind ourselves of God's grace. And isn't it so undeserved? Paul knew that he didn't deserve grace. Paul knew exactly what he was capable of. He was the worst of sinners on that road to Damascus. He calls himself in another letter the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst. How did he think that killing Christians would ever bring glory to God? How did he ever think that by zealously keeping the law and religiously following the strictest orthodox views of the Pharisees that it would ever bring him peace? That he could just work himself to pleasing God and earning a right to heaven? Even with us today, money, power, sexual immorality, jealousy, greed, anger, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder, our sins might be different from Paul's, but we all know what we are capable of. We all know that deep down, we too can become the chief of sinners. It's in our human condition. Sin is always crouching around the corner, ready to pounce, and our human instincts just take over. We cannot help it. We were born into sin. We are sinners. We are raised in a world that loves sin. We loved sin. Like Paul, we embraced sin because it was built into us and passed down to us from our forefather, Adam. As Adam, as one man, encouraged by the devil, sinned before God and brought sin into this world, so his sinful condition has passed down to us too, through our flesh. And the, and the devil, he's only too pleased to encourage us in our sin. We cannot escape our sinful condition. We are headed for destruction without Jesus Christ. And the devil and the demonic powers of this world are too pleased to encourage us just like the world that Paul was a missionary to. Everywhere is clouded in darkness and people are constantly drawn towards Satan's lies and without Jesus, headed for death, headed for destruction and eternity in hell without hope, without light, without grace and without peace. 
and without Jesus. Paul will say in chapter 2 of this letter, And you, you were dead in trespasses, and sins which you once, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's the condition we're in today. But Paul offers a but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, Paul says, by grace, you have been saved. By grace. Oh, the grace of God. Like Paul, if left to our own devices, we would all be on a road to Damascus, blindly headed towards death and destruction. But, but God... God, who so loved the world, sent his only son, and he sent his only son to die for your sins, to take the just and righteous punishment that was due to us. Jesus took all our sins. He took all your sins so that you wouldn't have to bear them in hell by yourself, and he took them upon himself, and he died for you. And there's another but. But he was raised to life. Jesus was raised to life in glory and was resurrected. He's sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding, he's pleading, and he's drawing people unto himself, meeting people, stopping people, choosing people on their road to Damascus. This is the grace of God. By grace, you have been saved, a gift from God. Does that give you peace this morning? If not, then I implore you this morning, turn to Christ, look to the cross, know his peace. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 17, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. In Christ Jesus, we have ultimate peace. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from, what your ethnicity is, what you've done in your past, there is peace at the foot of the cross. Peace between God and people. Peace between Jew and Gentile. Peace between slave and free. Peace between man and woman. Peace is forged at the cross and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, Paul will expand upon grace and peace later on in this letter in chapter 2. But for now, Haris Shalom. Grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ and from God the Father. We're about to go into verse 3. And the scribe and perhaps the guard at this point were probably wondering, well, I wonder what Paul's going to do next. I wonder where he's going to go in this letter. And on this occasion, Paul is about to do something certainly different than he's done in other letters. He doesn't seem angry at this point. He doesn't seem frustrated, as he oftentimes was when writing these letters. No, on this occasion, Paul looks to be readying himself for something. He looks intense and sort of happy as he's about to say what he's about to say. 
He's, con- he's composing himself for what can only be described as fervent prayer. Paul has never done this before, and he begins his prayer in this way. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the original Greek, all the way down to verse 14 in your Bibles, verse 3 to 4 is one long, continuous sentence. It's the longest Greek sentence ever written out, not just in the Bible, but in any Greek manuscript that has ever been written. There's no full stops, there's no commas, and there's no punctuation. Of course, in your Bibles today, we don't get a sense of that. But if you look down in your Bibles and just look how long uh, verse 3 to verse 14 is, you can see how long this sentence was and how long Paul's prayer would have been. One continuous prayer, a mix between doxology, which is like a hymn, and eulogy, which is like an exaltation. Praise upon praise upon praise, praises mixing together and overlapping. Very difficult to unpick and, and explain. Prayers go out to Paul for next week. <laughs> You'll be preaching on this next week. I think a word that describes Paul's feelings in this moment is not just prayer. It's not just prayer, but Paul is in adoration at this moment. He's in adoration. He's adoring God. And to explain the difference between praise and adoration, Charles Spurgeon had this wonderful illustration. He says, Praise is a river flowing on joyously in its own channel, banked up on either side that it may run towards its one object. But adoration is the same river overflowing all banks, flooding the soil and covering the entire nature with its great waters. And these waters are not so much moving and stirring, but rather they're standing still, so profound in in rest and mirroring the glory which shines down upon it like a summer's sun upon a sea of glass. Man, those words by Spurgeon. Paul's adoration here has burst the banks of sentence structure and punctuation. He's not just writing and teaching Ephesians. He's worshipping God. He's mirroring the glory of God's doctrines which shine and shimmer like glass. Blessed be the God our Father, he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice that first word, blessed. Blessed be God. How is this so? How can we bless God? How can God bless? How can Paul bless God? Do we give anything to God? Do we give grace to God? Do we give peace to God? Do we choose God? Do we give God forgiveness of his sins? Do we give God redemption? Do we give God wisdom or insight? Or do we give him an inheritance? No. We don't give him any of these things. We don't give him any blessings except our prayers. Paul exalts God and blesses him. Blessed be God. We, like Paul, can only give God our praise. Like Paul, we can only adore him, heaping praise upon praise upon praise. It's a wonderful joy when our adoration 
bursts the banks of praise and we get to reflect the blessings and glories that God has given us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't want you to miss the Trinitarian nature of this blessing. Blessed be God the Father. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Holy Spirit in whom the spiritual blessings come. Also notice the past tense. Notice how God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. If you are a Christian, if you have been chosen by God, the blessings have come and the blessings are sealed and done. How many blessings do we receive? Paul says every spiritual blessing, not just one or two, but every spiritual blessing that we need is richly given to us by God. Everything we need to belong in Christ. Fellow saints here in LBC this morning, I want to encourage you that you have been wonderfully, undeservedly blessed. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It feels like at times when you're dragging your heels through life that you haven't been blessed. But take heart. Just notice where Paul is whilst he's writing this letter. He's imprisoned. He's chained to a guard, awaiting a trial, fully expecting martyrdom, to be killed for his faithfulness to Christ. And yet here he is adoring and worshipping God because Paul knows that this earthly situation that we all find ourselves in is temporary. Remember this. Remember this verse also in Colossians verse three and chap, um, chapter 2 and verse 3. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's a simple reminder. But set your mind on things above and not on earthly things because our blessings are in the, in the heavenly places. They're in the heavenly places. Our blessings, they are spiritual blessings and they're found in the heavenly places and they are found in Christ. As saints, all our blessings are mediated by and through Christ. Our blessings come in the heavenly places where Christ now lives. His gift of the Holy Spirit is a source of all spiritual blessings and it was poured out because of his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. Our blessings are found in the heavenly places. Paul will go on to say in chapter 2 that we have been raised with Christ in heaven. We may live here temporarily, but our spiritual lives belong to Jesus Christ. Our life is in Christ. One commentator says, As the root is in the soil, as the branch is in the vine, as, a, as the fish is in the sea, as the bird is in the air, so the place of a Christian's life is in Christ. Physically, yes, we might be in this world, just as Paul was, just as the Ephesians were, but spiritually, the life of a saint is lifted above the world to be in Christ. Wherever we may be, whatever it is, whether we're, whether we're in Ephesus or we're in Lincoln, Whatever difficult situation we find ourselves in, whether we're chained to a Roman guard or we just feel like we're drowning and struggling to stay afloat, remember we are in Christ. 
We don't, we, don't, we don't need anything outside of Christ. He blesses us with all we need. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit we receive these spiritual blessings. Lord, help us to break the banks of praise. Help us to adore you. We cannot do it without you. We can only do it with you in Christ. We thank you for all the many spiritual blessings that we've received temporarily here in this life yes we've experienced some but for those spiritual blessings that are there for us in the heavenly places lord we await those so so much we can we can we can barely contain what it is to be a christian the life of a christian we thank you lord for choosing us we thank you lord for your grace towards us for your mercy and the peace that we have at the foot of the cross forged at the cross by the by the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we, as we take this book to heart, as we study our way through Ephesians. Lord, would you just bless our time in this book together? Would you help us to live balanced lives as Christians here? Living in sound doctrine, yes, but also living in sound duty. Lord, would you just fill us with your Holy Spirit as we walk through this life here on earth and that we may shine and spread the gospel to those who are living in darkness right now. And for those who are living in darkness, Lord, we just pray for them. We pray for the light of Jesus to be present in their lives. Lord, we just pray all these things in, in Jesus' name and for his glory, not for ours, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.